You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast, episode 84, Merseyside Misery, again. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast, a podcast that is sick of seeing Chelsea lose at Goodison Park every single season. Yeah, no Jack this week. He went to Goodison Park, so he is no doubt overjoyed at watching a very frustrating and toothless 1-0 Chelsea loss. Uh, returning to the podcast is the lovely Jessica Flotter. Jess, how are we doing? Not that great, <laughs> but I'm glad to be back. I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm very glad um, to be back. It's an honour to be here and it's an honour to be here with Sam. Yeah, no, exactly. And our second guest is making his first ever appearance on podcast. It's someone who I've meaning to get on for a while. It's someone whose work on Twitter, I'm sure most people are fully aware with. It is Sam, also better known on Twitter as CFC Central. Sam, how are we doing? Doing lovely. And thank you so much for having me. I've, I've just been waiting for the longest time and huge fan of your work as well as Jessica's. So the honor is all mine. So thank you so much. Cheers, Sam. Cheers for joining us. As I do with guests, I get them to give themselves a plug. So, Sam, I'll stick with you. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter and all your your excellent threads. So you can find me on CFC Central 3. That's my Twitter handle. I basically am a social media recluse everywhere else. That's the only place you can find my stuff. And um, my girlfriend's actually been pushing me to try and get into to YouTube and, and podcast. So I think this is a great place for me to bond with you and get some expert tips on that as well. And hopefully I can, this is a chance for me to recruit some guests for my first podcast as well. So I'm, I'm on a secret mission for this one. Oh, lovely stuff, lovely stuff. And say <laughs> Sam's links will be in the description below. And Jess, why don't you tell people where they can find you on Twitter and also Chelsea Brazil? Yeah, um, I'm at Twitter at, uh, at J underline um, Trota. And also, if you want to meet Brazilian fans at J- Chelsea uh, Brazil, but Brazil with an S because it's in Portuguese. 
lovely, lovely stuff. And guys, those links will be in the description below. Now, before we get into the football, I have to do some admin. So it's just a reminder that support for that Chelsea podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the best in men's below the waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men, and if my math is correct, that's 8 million bulls worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer that we have for you and get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code thatchelseapod at manscaped.com. Now, Jack and I were kindly sent the performance package 4.0, and like Solomon could off the bench, this package is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. First off is the Lawnmower 4.0, and this trimmer is the future of grooming, and it will clean up that mess down there better than Gus Hidden cleaned up that Chelsea mess when he took over in the 15-16 season. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 400k LED spotlight should you need a more precise shave. Some might call it the Sesk Fabregas of shavers. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to that mess on the bathroom floor, and everyone's a winner there. Now, like Hakim Ziyech's goal v Spurs in January, you no doubt thought that was good. But do you want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes a weed whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer. The weed whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags and tugs in all those delicate nose holes. It'll get all up in your business looking like Diego Costa looking for a scrap or today like Kai Havertz battling with Yeri Mina. Next up, we have their Crop Reserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner, which will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped boxes and their Shed Travel Bag. I mean, the Travel Bag is called the Shed. You know you want this. It's time to take care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code ThatChelseaPod. Because, gents... Some stats for you on a research study carried out by Manscaped, but did you know that 96% of partners think bad grooming is a major turnoff and that 85% of partners prefer a man who is groomed below the waist, while 91% of men think good grooming is essential to their, to, to their professional success. That is due down to a research study by Manscaped. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code ThatChelseaPod at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use code ThatChelseaPod. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Right. Now that is out of the way. Chelsea had two games this week. And I guess we should start off with what took place at Old Trafford on Thursday night. Um, Sam, it was a frustrating 1-1 draw with Manchester United. And it was a game that probably was a good indicator of Chelsea's season in general. It was a game where Chelsea were in control a lot, pretty dominant but just couldn't put the ball in the back of there. What were your kind of just thoughts and, and main takeaways from that Manchester United game on, on Thursday night? Um, I think in, in hindsight, it's, it's been a beneficial time for me to sit down and actually gather my thoughts calmly because watching that performance certainly didn't do anything good for my blood pressure. It, was, it, was, it wasn't the ideal way of seeing this play. You know, we were lacking the kind of clinical edge that we have like for the past couple of seasons because um, we've been very, I would say, complacent when it comes to uh, finishing off chances in front of goal. So it, it did look like we we lacked a lot of things when it came to the final third. But again, um, now that I've had the time to sit down and think about it, it's it's been an atrociously long season. Today has been our 60th game already. 
Um, we were the first to start the season with the Super Cup, and now you know we are already into our 60th game. So it's been mentally exhausting. It's been absolutely a grueling season, and and when you start seeing people like Thiago Silva miss some of the duels that they were eating up for lunch and dinner on a daily basis, you know that it's it's affecting their performance um, because of other miscellaneous reasons. So I would say that at this point, the quicker we go through our games, the better. Um, but we need a lot of rest. We need a lot of rotation. We need to get that sharpness back and we are missing that. We just look very stale at yeah. United as well as today. Yeah. Uh, against Manchester United, Cesar Azpilicueta captain Chelsea for the 200th time. A fun fact, Manchester United against Chelsea is now the outright most drawn fixture in Premier League history with 25 of the meetings between the sides ending level. Jess, um, against Manchester United, I think it was kind of a weird one, just judging by sort of the consensus and what I was kind of reading online. There kind of seemed to be quite a split in, in opinion on actually that, that game and that performance because there was, you know, obviously I think it's clear to everyone that this Manchester United side is not very good. Uh, at this present moment and obviously it was frustrating that Chelsea once again dropped points due to their profligacy in front of goal and then obviously making an error after actually finally putting away one of their chances but it was a game where it felt to me anyway that Chelsea were in control pretty much most of that game they did create chances quite easy which is something Chelsea have struggled with this season and in general Chelsea were actually quite enjoyable to watch on Thursday night um, with Reese James you know starring and we'll get on to, to Reese a bit later but what were your kind of just thoughts of that Manchester United game how did what was your kind of main takeaway and how did you sort of view that performance? Well, it's it's a bit um, it's bittersweet for me because before Chelsea faced West Ham and Man United, I remember saying that I would be content, not happy, but content with taking uh, four points, just because you know the form that we were in, and also we haven't won against United since 2013 at Old Trafford uh, in the Premier League. Um, and then we started the game, and for me, the first half was incredibly frustrating because we were playing. It almost felt like second year. It, it felt like a training somewhat. And even then we were creating chances and we could still be 3-0 up by my counting anyway. Um, or we should have been 3-0 up. Um, and I think it was frustrating because we were playing a lot better, in my opinion. But we just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. And that was just like, oh, it just came to my mind how far off we are from City and, and Liverpool. And then that's just like, oh my God, you know, if it was if, if it was um City or Liverpool playing United like this, they would be four nil up, five nil up, and that was just frustrating. The second half, I I don't want to complain too much because I thought we stepped up a, a lot more. Uh we created more, we were more aggressive. But uh then again we couldn't we couldn't put the, the ball at the back of the net. We we had to have Alonso. Um, and, and the fact that we, you know, I think most people are in, in agreement that our best scorers, like in terms of, like if you need a goal and then you look at Reese James or you would look at Chiwell and, and I think there's a problem there. Nobody would say, oh, I trust Timo to score that goal or I trust Lukaku to score their goal. And that I think has been a major, a major problem in our season. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. As say, Marcus Alonso did finally put the ball in the back of the net to send Chelsea one 0 up, which is you know the least their performance deserved. Uh, but then, unfortunately, about two minutes later, it was one all as Chelsea made an error, and Ronaldo, who was pretty anonymous all game, punished us, and it was one more one all. And I said, you know, unfortunately, Chelsea did miss some chance afterwards. Reese James hit the post, but it was a frustrating night 
in terms of result. But as I said, for me in general, I was fairly satisfied with that general uh, team performance. Um, Sam, I guess against Manchester United, there was one main standout on that pitch, and that was Reese James. Uh, his stats from that game, 100% aerials, duels on, 90% pass accuracy, 112 touches, 13 duels won, 10 touches in the opposition box, 10 crosses, five take-ons attempted, four take-ons completed, four tackles, four shots, three chances created, three fouls won. He was sort of that main um, creative outlet and he was that um, he was clearly the best player on the pitch. Chelsea, what did you kind of just make of, of that Reese James performance uh, in general? I think it was outstanding. I think um, considering the formation and the system we've been playing since the beginning of the season, um, the best chances, the most amount of space is afforded to the widest players. So, so Chilwell and James have arguably had the best opportunities to perform, to produce the kind of output that gives us, you know, that that vital edge in terms of goals and creativity. And and he's been, I think, the best in terms of creative numbers for us. And that's, that's I think, definitely why when, when he was out injured, we suffered greatly. So against United, he was outstanding once more. I don't think it's overstating that he is arguably right now the best right back in the world. A right back, a right wing back, right center back, whatever you want to call it. But he's arguably that player who can who can give you everything offensively and defensively. I think he was outstanding and whatever his contribution was, it, it deserved a lot more goals than we did manage against United. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Reese James was incredible against Manchester United. But all we had to show from that was a point. But as Jess said earlier, I think a lot of us would have said if you'd taken four points from, from West Ham and Manchester United going into Everton, we'd have been satisfied. Not really, you know, not really, really happy, but satisfied with that outcome. And that was what we took going into Everton. And Jess, that game against Everton, I know maybe this tone was set in the first 10 seconds with Ruben Loftus-Cheek giving away a free kick on the edge of the box. But that was the performance we saw today. That kind of felt back to watching the Chelsea, you know, that we've seen over the last, you know, few few weeks, basically. What we feel like we've been watching for, for a while, and I guess almost what we've almost been watching in the Premier League, what seems forever, but we're just slow, lethargic, not real, no real energy, no real tempo. Uh, and then we say we couldn't break a, a low block team down. And uh, unfortunately, we got punished by, by an error. But what were your kind of, what was your feelings like watching that Everton game? Like you kind of seen this story before at Bidson Park because this is the fourth year in a row now that we've lost there, but just your kind of general feelings watching that game. Um, I was angry, actually. <laughs> um, I don't normally get angry watching. I get frustrated, but I was very angry because we were just not aggressive at all. And of course, I mean, you have Everton and they they have a lot more arguably to be playing for um, at, at this moment in time, but we were just flat. Um, as I said, at, at, you know, the United game for me, there was a a lack of final third. You know, we, we couldn't finish off our chances. We created a lot, but we were playing better. Um, and in this in this particular game, it just felt like we we, we regressed to how we were playing um, against West Ham. Um, and I I was just also very angry because the whole the the, the during the 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 whole match, I was like, I want to see some aggressiveness. I want to, especially when they went one nil up, I was, I was wanting some drive, you know, just shoot or, or create something. Timo wasn't running. Um, he, he, I mean, against United, Timo actually did a lot of his runs, um, but we couldn't find him. But this, this game, he didn't run a lot. Um, Kai fell into the mental aspect, I think, with, with Mina and, I just I was asking for maybe you know try a back four or put Hakim in, 
And I was frustrated that it wasn't happening. And then when it did happen, nothing changed. You have Pulisic and, and Hakim coming from the bench and and they were non-existent, non-existent once again. So that that feeling of of flatness, I think, of, of okay, so what can you try now? Because I mean, arguably you could say, oh, you had Lukaku there, it's a physical game, he could do something, but then again. The times where we did give him the opportunity, he didn't offer that much. So I think it's just a sense of hands tied of what else can we do to to try this? I, I didn't particularly understand Georgie being subbed off. I think he was he he was having a bad run of games, but then at, against Man United, he he did he did really good. And then today, I felt he had a decent game. Um, obviously, the standout uh, was was Ruben, but even Ruben at times I was I was upset that he was holding the ball the ball too long. So it was I'm just uh I'm I'm very annoyed at the lack of drive that we saw today. Yeah. Jorginho in that first half won more jewels eight and made more tackles five than any other player in that first half. It did certainly seem a bit of an odd substitution. I'm not sure if it was injury or not, but Sam, were you kind of like surprised? I mean, I guess in a way bringing Kovacic on for Jorginho, maybe two calls thinking we were a bit flat in that first half bring a bit more energy, a bit more drive on in Kovacic. But then I'd also argue that we already had someone on in that midfield like Ruben, who was there, who actually I thought, you know, had some good bright moments in first half and Georgie would kind of allow us to keep ticking. But what did you kind of make of that, that Jorginho sub? And then unfortunately, within about two minutes, you know, that's one sub down the drain as, as Chelsea made their 14th error leading to a goal in the Premier League since the start of last season, of which only Everton 15 have made more. But what was your kind of just general reaction to that, to that Jorginho sub? No, I, I completely agree with Jessica because um, I felt like he was one of the better players on the pitch. Um, against United as well, he was in his element. He was controlling the game really well. No errors whatsoever. Also doing very well in his defensive duels. So when Everton were trying to hit us on the break and try to get as much chaos into the game as possible, I, I did feel that Tuchel sort of felt Kovacic was better suited to handle the kind of... Um, transitions that Everton were trying to hit us with because you immediately saw Iwobi trying to break forward then Richarlison on the break then you would see Anthony Gordon pop up from somewhere and and when that starts to happen when chaos starts to happen in in the middle third then Georgie is somebody who eventually becomes you know the scapegoat or, or somebody who's easily vulnerable when he's defending backwards so maybe that was thinking about getting Kovacic on I don't know whether that was the right decision, but I felt Georgie was completely, you know, he, he had a very good game. So, didn't really feel the need to to change whatsoever. But I think that's just a proactive step taken by Tuchel to say, okay, this game is just going to escalate and then Everton are trying to going to get to their second goal. So, try to prevent that and get Kovacic on. So. I guess the unfortunate thing, Jess, with obviously subbing Jorginho on at half time with uh, Jorginho off at half time Kovacic, uh, was that meant we were one sub down. And uh, obviously, we then go one nil down, thanks to unfortunately uh, a horrendous error from Cesar Cutter, which meant we only had two subs left. And realistically, you know, we had to make a proactive change. Obviously, that meant as Plaqueta went off. But it also meant that when we still had to leave, you know, one of our other attackers on and Kai Havertz, unfortunately, it felt like from early on, his head was just not in that game at all. He was getting frustrated. You know, he was getting involved in things with Yerry Mina that he probably didn't need to. And it just felt, you know, it's, it's obviously the beauty of hindsight and obviously the way things work. But it almost felt like if George, if if Tuchel hadn't made that half-time sub, if Jorginho had stayed on the pitch longer, then maybe potentially 
you know, Romelu Lukaku could maybe have come on instead. And we're not saying, I'm not saying Rom would have uh, have won that game or changed the game because the evidence isn't there to suggest that. But given how that game was going against Everton, I don't really see how it could have really been much worse if we'd had the option of throwing Rom on. But what, just your kind of thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree with the fact that Kai didn't particularly have a good, a good game. As I said before, I think he got caught up in the mental aspect of it. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to be too critical of this because I, I know a lot of people will say, oh, it's, it's, um, he's a, he's a professional player. Um, he should know better. And, and I agree to that. Uh, but only to a certain extent, he's still a young player. And um, with, with all the bad calls from the ref and, and I, I, I don't, I just, I don't villainize him for, for it. Um, and as for, for Tuchel, I, I don't think he would have stayed on, um, as you said, if he had the extra sub, but at least Kai was, I think he was trying a lot more. Timo, he was just non-existent. Um, in that game, so I, I can understand Tuho um, deciding to, to to let Kai finish the game. But yeah, it was just, I'm sorry, but it was just a mess. This game was just a mess. As a Brazilian, it felt like a, a Libertadores game from the fireworks. Um, that's something that happens a lot in South America to the, the, the pace of the game, to the tactics employed by, um, by uh, Everton. And I just feel like for us, we we lacked a little bit of. Um, I, I I'm gonna say like emotional intelligence. I think, um, yeah. I I I don't think we were. I think we should have been expecting a game like that, but I don't think we were prepared for it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, Sam, I guess we kind of maybe got an indicator of the way that game is going to go where Mason Mount, who probably had chosen the best chance of the game, hit both hit both posts and then Azpilicueta's shot is a brilliant save from Jordan Pickford. And I guess maybe we've seen a lot of football. I've kind of seen a lot of football. I know how, you know, you kind of maybe get a sense of a realisation, but that kind of felt that moment in particular, that kind of felt to me the moment where you go, yeah, this isn't going to be our day at all. But what would you kind of just make of that like particular moment? How just game changing did you think that was? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of used to it because every time we play Bournemouth or we play Brentford, you know, somebody turns into Prime Rivaldo. Today we had Levi Ashin against us. So, um, sort of expected when, when the European champions come to your place, you just have to raise your game. And even before we won the Champions League, I think we've just, you know, Callum Wilson used to completely turn into, uh, you know, have a completely different streak against us. So, we've got all those players who up our game and... I just felt like once that starts to happen, once your first chance goes begging, once your second chance goes begging, then then it sort of like hits you psychologically. In the past, um, I think five or six games since the Palace game, we've created 10 big chances. We've only taken three. So it just speaks a lot about trying to shift the momentum when you've been hit. How hard do you react? How How quickly do you get back and say, okay, you know, it's not going to affect us. I think Real Madrid was the only game where we showed um, that we wanted it in terms of intensity, but the moment we got hit by the first goal, we just completely collapsed. And I think that's been a problem. But again, I will come back to the point that at this point in the season, it's just physical and mental burnout both. I, I keep raising that point because it's very easy to analyze a game as a sole perspective, saying like this is the only game that's that we're looking at. But in terms of the bigger picture, and we've been to Russia, we've been to the Middle East, we've We've been in six different competitions and it's been it's been atrociously long. So um 
I think Karma Heads need to prevail. We have to now start off sort of like get top four sorted, rest as many key players as possible. Mount today, ninth game in the last 29 days. That's an incredible amount of workload. So we have to rest people. We have to make sure that they're well rested for the FA Cup. I don't know how that's going to go on current form, but you finish that and then after that, start planning for the season ahead. Yeah, yeah. As I said, I think a lot of people are kind of just wanting this season to end and obviously the FA Cup final is kind of what, you know, we've kind of only got to look forward to. But Sam, I'll say for you, how kind of frustrating is it to you in a way that we feel like we have got top four, like it's fairly comfortable, we should be okay, but how kind of frustrating is it for you that we, you know, it's not confirmed yet, and it feels like we're sort of dragging this this process out. It's taking, you know, perhaps longer than it should have. And as you said, you mentioned there are obviously external factors. These players have tied; they've played a lot of games this season. But I guess how strange is it that this process is taking, you know, perhaps longer than we would have liked? Because I think that's four points now from our last four games: one, you know, two losses, a win, and a draw in there. And we are sort of dragging this process out a bit. So, what, what's your just kind of general your general feelings just around watching us at the moment? Uh, was that for me or for Jessica? Oh, that's for you. That's for you. All right. Oh, sorry. So, uh, yeah, I, I do feel like in, in terms of getting the job done, we should have had this wrapped up a long time ago. I also feel that it will hurt us in other areas because obviously Tuchel will have to keep picking the core. I mean, he has that tendency, no matter how bad results or form tends to get, he tends to pick a certain core. He tends to function like a very international manager. You know, he makes selections and says, okay, despite you not having scored in the next last five, six games, I'm going to give you 60 minutes, 70 minutes to prove yourself. Um, I do think Lukaku, Ziyech, Pulisic, no matter how bad their form was, at least merited, say, a couple of starts in the last four games. But it's just been it's just been tiring from that perspective. Another perspective I would like to bring up is I would have loved to have somebody like a Charlie Webster or, you know, Harvey Wales sort of come from from the dev squad and get a few minutes because if you're trying to convince them that there is a gateway for you next season, this is what we need to do. We need to give them PL game time, not a Carling Cup game, not a CFC dev game. You need to give them minutes against Leeds, Wolves and all these fixtures that we've got lined up. And that would have been great for them to have an experience from and, and know that when they're coming to preseason next, they might actually have a chance of you know, making it to the first team. And I think we've lost out on that. You know, there is no way Tuchel plays these players now with top four still to go. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. As said, I, you know, presuming some, you know, presuming some results go our way, et cetera, I think we may be looking at maybe four four more points. But again, we're, we've only taken four points from our last four games. So again, I don't say I don't think Tuchel, you know, will be in a position where we, you know, bring in young, which is a shame because, you know, there was a potential you know, maybe a week or two ago, you know, before Arsenal, but, you know, hopefully we could get top four wrapped up sort of by this Everton game. We could sort of actually, you know, be able to rest some players and give players some rest before that cup final. That now doesn't seem um, very, very likely at all. Um, Jess, I'll go I'll go to you in general before I get on to this. Question. What's your just general mood watching Chelsea at the moment? Because I feel a lot of people, and I've said it, I feel a lot of people are getting, you know, are slowly getting burned out by the season. And, and as we mentioned, if we're getting burned out, there's no doubt these players are. But what's your just general thing because a lot of people I talk to is kind of like it's almost like I said I think some people described it as almost watching us as like a chore which as a fan you don't really want it to be but it just feels like this season is dragging on and it's as I said it's, it feels like again today West Ham last week not we've not really been very enjoyable to watch for for quite a while in general so what's just your kind of thoughts about you know just this season 
about the season in general or yeah, just, just about this end of the season? This, well, yeah, I guess that, this sort of end of the season, how you're just feeling watching us at the moment. Um, about the end of the season, I am feeling, I think, frustrated. I'm going to repeat because, uh, <laughs> as you said, I think I, I was reading something that in the last 30 days, we lost to Brentford, to Real Madrid, to Arsenal at home, and then drew to United and then lost to Everton. Um, and for me, the frustration comes from the, the, the lack of drive, the lack of, it's just, it feels very flat almost. Um, I am trying, however, to try to be logical, um, to try to take into account what's been going on outside of the pitch. Obviously, I mean, you have, we're only human. So you have to believe that that has some sort of impact on the players and, and on the staff. Um, the, the, just as, as, as Sam keeps saying, just how long the season has been, how grueling it has been. Um, so I'm trying to take all of that into account to not be over preoccupied, but I think there is, it's very obvious now that we need to work this squad. Um, there is work to be done there. Um, and I'm just hoping that we take this summer as an opportunity to rebuild, to rebuild the squad, to add uh, certain key players um, and just integrate others and just see this as an opportunity to, you know, for, for, for a fresh start. That's what I'm expecting. I, I'm trying to also look at it and, and try to, to leave sentiment out of it and, and trying to disconnect from certain senior players and just, you know, it's, it's, it's time to start on you, I think. And I, and I believe that this past few games clearly showed that we need something to change. Um, unfortunately, I don't think a lot can change now before the, the summer window. Uh, maybe we can see some change at the cup final because this is a, a squad that seems to, to really uh, blossom in, in, in finals and in, in, in in cup games. So I still have a little bit of hope that we can see something there. But as for the top four, it just feels, as you said, like a chore. It, it feels like the players don't have that drive anymore. And I'm not expecting much, to be honest. Um, yeah. But I think the, um, the fact that I'm, I'm kind of relying on, on other clubs for results, it's, it's also not great. Um, I'm trying to see, oh, okay, well, Spurs still have, has to play Liverpool and Spurs and, and Arsenal, you know, they have the Derby. So all the mathematics is not something that you want to do if you want to compete at the top. You want to rely on yourself alone. And, and unfortunately, this season, um, it, it's not happening. Um, and it's also a sad that it's been like, it seems like a, a repetition of pre previous seasons. We start very strong and then stuff happens and we kind of lose ourselves a little bit and it's more frustrating because it feels like we're losing to ourselves almost um you know a lot of individual mistakes and just players not showing up so it's always a question mark are we going to turn up to this match are we not going to turn turn up you know um in the midst of all those bad matches Brentford and Arsenal and United you have you had um Madrid where we played great at least up until the point that we were three nil up so uh I think yeah so yeah. It's just, uh... yeah, no, no, exactly, exactly. It is unfortunately, it's kind of a general pattern that we're seeing. You know, is you know, four or five different managers now have also experienced it that we get to a point of the season 
and Chelsea again are, are on 66 points. And we're sort of going to feel like we're probably going to end this season on a similar point tally to, to previous seasons. So as much as we'd like, you know, as much as there probably been more perhaps circumstances that you can maybe excuse a more favourable, you know, this season compared to others, it is still frustrating. But I think we're seeing similar trends and similar um, patterns emerge. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Going to move on to listener questions. I guess this all carries on from what we are discussing. Sam, I'll go to your miss. Do you think that essentially off-field situations are now caught up with this squad? We've got ownership, transfer rooms with at least six stars could leave in the summer and how we're on our 60th game. Do you think just in general, like this Chelsea, since it feels like ever since, it feels, as I said, I think our guest Tom Cody last week says this the second half of the season, it sort of felt that it's not really been about the football with Chelsea. It's sort of felt about off-field matters. And I think for a period of time, especially sort of after Roman, you know, got sanctioned, we had that really brilliant run. I think we won about 12 out of our 13 games and our, our one we didn't win was was the cup final. But do you think in a way that now just sort of naturally sort of everything's almost just caught up with with these players? The fact that, you know, by going on that run, they kind of almost got top four secured and, you know, they've got themselves into a cup final. But now, the, you know, that heartbreaking exit to Real Madrid and the Champions League, do you think just ultimately that, you know, the off-field situations, you know, and what's gone on there is almost just essentially just almost drained the life out of these players almost and it's kind of, yeah, just, just got them sort of just struggling and limping over the line right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the squad has a certain amount of leadership and experience to go through it in the immediate short term. Maybe you can last a couple of weeks with everything that's gone through. But it's when you look at everything that's happened since the start of the season, I think there have been only three or four first-team players that haven't been injured this season. Otherwise, we've got 25 injuries. And um, a lot of them long-term as well. You know, Chilwell, for example, James was out, I think, with two different injuries uh, to the same spot. And he was out for like seven or eight games. So it's it's been there psychologically. The whole morale of the group also drops when that happens. Tuchel, for example, had his divorce with his partner. And, and that was also going on behind the scenes. So the longer these things drag on, for example, the contract negotiations also, I mean, it's going to affect your concentration. It's, it's all well and good for Tuchel to come and say into the press conference that, no, he's completely focused and he's concentrated. But um, it doesn't happen like that, unfortunately. People are humans. These players are, at the end of the day, they have long-term planning to think of. They have families to think of, where they're going, how they're going to move and all of that. So I think we've just let this thing drag out a little longer than it needed to. And I think it's shown in the performances after a slight bit of adversity, like like Jessica said, you know, that Real Madrid game really hit us hard because we deserve to go through. Like, make no qualms about it. We we had to go through. And 
we just didn't have anything left in terms of trying to pick ourselves up from that situation and try to put a good run again together. It just feels a lot deflated right now. I don't think any motivational speeches at this point of the season are going to work. Unless maybe like you go to an FA Cup final and suddenly you feel like, yeah, you know, we are a cup side and, and we can do this. And Liverpool obviously have the title still to think of. So maybe they'll be a lot more exhausted than us. But uh, yeah, I think, I think um, two, three weeks of that would have been okay, but it's just been on for three, four months and, and that's affected us psychologically. And, and that's where 70% of the games played. So, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I mean, just look at today, you could tell that Everton were a lot more up for it and their, their attitude and design of the pitch was a lot more, you know, on show than ours. Uh, yeah, no, essentially, yeah, Christopher, I think, yeah, the off field situation might now finally call up the squad and I say it's only natural because I actually think, you know, Chelsea did remarkably well at the start of all this when this was going on, but we just kept winning games of football and we kept finding a way. And I think ultimately, you know, where players are all, almost, yeah, they're running out of steam a bit, which again is understandable because, you know, we've had injuries, players have, you know, we've spun some players into ground. It's been tough. And I think this has probably been the craziest season I can remember. Feels like the craziest season I can remember supporting Chelsea, one of the toughest in terms of just general things going on and off the pitch. Um, they said, hopefully, you know, there's the news but Bowley, you know, was, you know, emerges the preferred bidder, which I think, you know, is good to hopefully get some cloud situation. I guess I'll use that as sort of a segue. Um, Jessica, you know, the ownership situation has been up and the other. We got the news. I think it was, it was on Friday, but obviously Bowley is is emerging as a preferred bidder. Uh, the Broughton group bids thrown out. Pagliuca's group uh, bids thrown out. Um, so it's, you know, and, uh, Jim Radcliffe for a last minute, you know, crazy offer in, in within your space. You know, seems that Bowley is going to be, the preferred bit of what's just your kind of your thoughts and your feelings just on that news and just I guess you know your feelings on Bodie from you know what you've gathered what you've read etc um I think it, it was it was expected I think that he would he would win I wasn't expecting I would be surprised if if he wasn't chosen as the the preferred his consortium whatever I do have some reservations I think a lot of fans have regarding the consortium and how it's going to be like how, how are they going to decide things and the major stakeholding and how it's going to be the vote and the shares and all of that but overall um i i really liked what has been said obviously in in, um, in theory is one thing so you have to wait to see how things are going to be implemented but i i particularly liked the the idea of having recruitment based on data and resorting to the academy because I think I mean we have a world-class academy and that's not saying that we're going to produce only world-class talents and our players are going to be the best players ever and the academy is better than anyone else but the we do have a really good solid academy with players that allows us to create a spot and go in the market just for those really world-class players that can elevate us. So my this is an idea that I carry with me, and I felt that what's been said and reported on, on Bowley um, goes hand-in-hand hand with that notion. So I'm just hoping that um, we get to see this in practice. I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure what's going to happen this summer because – um, there's a lot of questions to be asked. What's going to happen in the hierarchy? Are we going to keep uh, book or and Marina? There's still questions to be answered. Um, but as far as the future, that's what I would like to see. And I'm trying to keep positive. That's that's something that we could because I think it's very achievable. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I'm holding on to at this moment. 
Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough said. I think a lot of us are kind of just waiting and, and almost looking forward to the new era, but away to Chelsea and, and the possibilities that could be. Uh, next question comes in from RJ. What do you attribute the significant variations in our recent displays, considering in some games we look really sharp and then equally lethargic? Is it fatigue, injuries, concentration, attitude, application, tactical, in-game management shortcomings? Uh, keen to hear you guys discuss. Sam, I'll go to you. This Is it just a combination of all of those? Is that the simple answer, but maybe the likely answer? Um, yeah, I think it would be easier to say that, but I do feel that we have... We have major tactical issues. I feel like we haven't really utilized the squad that, that in the way that we should. And that's not entirely Tuchel's fault, to be honest, because when you look at the side, when you look at its defense, when you look at its midfield, when you look at its attack, these are players assembled for different managers. You know, when you look at, say, Lukaku, when you look at Timo Werner, these are two players who perform really well in transitions. They're, they're players who prefer touches behind the defence and they play really well when they're one of two forwards and none of those luxuries have been afforded to them for a sustained period of time. We tried until the Malmo game when both of them went off injured Um, but after that it's just been trying to give these two forwards touches in front of the defence which they don't really like and when you see it, when you see Timo's first touch, it just tells you everything in the way that he's played his football. He's never really had touches in front of the defence. It's always play him behind. So I do feel Tuchel hasn't had enough time, you know, because of the Euros um, last season to try and implement his idea of something of a compromise between the midfield and an attack, try to get us an identity that is coherent. Because right now we just look a different team when we go from the middle third to the attacking third. And that's caused a lot of frustration. Like, for example, Jessica was pointing out to to Loftus-Cheek, you know, he there are so many instances when he drives through midfield and when he should be releasing attackers, but he does not. He just holds on to the ball. And he keeps doing that over and over again. It just isn't rectified. And and there are multiple sort of instances like the, with Timo's run, with Lukaku's runs, with with the spaces that um, Ziyech tends to take on the right-hand side. So many different things that could be done better. With Kai, even with Kai, you know, the way we utilize him at forward, um, so many different ideas that can be that can be incorporated. So the easy answer would be to say that it, there have been multiple um, problems, but I also feel that before next season starts, we either need to buy acquisitions and, and these new marquee players that build into his philosophy or otherwise we just need to find a middle ground and, and build something that can sustain us over the next season. Fair enough. I'll stick with you then, because the next question comes in from Travis. He goes, tactically, how does Tuchel establish any form of consistency in attack? We've seen the chop and change in the front three. We've seen the same selections uh, for runs and matches and continually uh, uh, continually defined by consistent inconsistency. How does this change? Sam, does it kind of link back to kind of what you're going early, but, you know, you know, different players, you kind of mentioned, you know, Lukaku and Timo, you know, almost, you know, built for... For transitions, etc. How does you know how does this this change? Because say this is an you know an issue that Tuchel, for all the brilliant things he's done, he's still not in you know his his season and a half in charge of whether still not really managed to get a consistent tune of that consistent tune yeah. out of our attack. Absolutely. So I I do feel that there are. I was just mentioning this earlier to a friend. I was just telling him that um, Pep Guardiola had similar problems when he was trying to figure out an identity at Bayern Munich. He was trying to establish how to get this new physical, very aggressive Bayern Munich side to play 
in a way that they dominate the ball and they struggled as well. You know, they tried to figure out a way to stop counterattacks, which we've been trying to do. But for the longest time, they just couldn't find the goals. There were times in the season where their finishing accuracy was around 3 to 10%. So they were only finishing off 3 to 10% of their chances, which is very similar to the place that we are. But it was all about trying to find, okay, how do you establish spaces? How do you make use of the profiles that we have? The, the major benefit that I see in our front line is that, for example, when you, when you play Mount or when you play Ziyech, Kai and Werner, these are three completely different forwards. They have strengths that the other person does not have. So how do you create a system that utilizes the best out of them? We did see glimpses in cup matches, especially when they got tight. For example, you would see against Atletico Madrid, we used Werner on the break. He was the guy who got us the assist for Ziyech's goal. You know, you would see Mount in tight games. You would play him behind lines against Porto. He was the guy who got us the goal. So when you are, when you do have a diverse front line, when you do have diverse players, how do you incorporate their strengths into a system? We haven't been able to do that. For example, when I look at Kai Havertz, he's he's not a nine. I, I don't think he's somebody who can play as the lone forward. He has picked up strengths this season where he has shown glimpses of things that he can do in terms of scoring headers, in terms of working in tight spaces. But if, for example, Kai was playing under Guardiola, he would either be asked to sort of go, you know, laterally or drop to give us strength in midfield and and vacate the central area for runs from from other players because that's exactly what you need to do because when you when you have players who are highly fluid who are highly mobile the central zone isn't a place to occupy you cannot have a static forward that's why lukaku doesn't work for us he is somebody who just occupies the central zone this is a zone that you need to arrive at this is a zone that needs to be empty you need to give the opposition center backs a sense of absolute cluelessness like who am I supposed to mark who is going to run here from where when you've got Ziyech and Alonso for example how many crosses have you seen to the back post something that he did day in day out at Ajax you've not seen one I've not seen one thing from Tuchel asking Alonso to attack the back post and Ziyech to to target that with a cross we haven't seen that I haven't seen Werner being used as a transition point um, except, for example, the only player who's played him behind first time was James Watt-Prowse, and he scored that goal. So when you do have those strengths, how are we utilizing them? I, I think that there are a lot of things that we can do in that regard. It can be done. It doesn't have to be as dreary and boring as, as I'm making it sound right now. But definitely with the players that we've had, with, with the mentality that they've had when they're reinvigorated, I think something can be done. But tactically, we are messing up. We are we are a hosh-posh of, of identities and philosophies trying to come together to create something. And that's not happening right now. Then I guess my final question to you, uh, which is Travis's uh, final question, how does this change? Is the simple answer in the summer, give Tuchel the attackers that he would like for, for his system, you know, essentially let Tuchel start building the team in his, in his image? Because so far, this doesn't really feel like Tuchel's put his stamp on this team, but it doesn't actually feel like Tuchel's like team that he would really like to be to be playing. If that makes sense, um, I mean, I, I look at the rebuild that we have on our hands, and and I find that to be a very intimidating proposition. To be exact, so I mean, we have Rudiger and Christensen to replace. Aspie is going to be basically. I think he's going to be phased out. And today was just one of those moments when you realize that 
you know, when the season gets into its its latter stages, he is probably going to suffer a lot because of the toll it takes. So we've got three players in defense. Um, Jorginho, Kante, again, two players that we might have to shift out. So the core of our Champions League, uh, Champions League winning team is is to be replaced. That's about five players. So do we focus on that or do we try to shift out attackers? Because if we do that, then we'll have to shift out at least nine players. And I don't see that to be a very easy proposition. So I think that we need to, um, like Jessica said, we need to find um, players who can provide cover. For example, Ampadu has been has been very, very good at a very bad Venezia side. So bring him in, try to get our, our you know, right wing back and left wing back and, and DM sort of covered because of Ampadu, get Gilmore back in midfield, get Gallagher back, get these players back who can cover bases. They're not going to be immediate starters, but they can win their side back. And only go in the market for players you know you absolutely need. You need a CCB to replace Silva because he's now going to be 38. You need an LCB, somebody who's going to challenge Colville for that role. You need, I think the most important part, you do need two central midfielders. You need Rice, you need Shuameni, or you need somebody else with those similar profiles. And then I think if you have a proper preseason, then try to figure out what you can do with the attackers. I still think there is hope for Timo. I still think that something can be done with Lukaku because he has worked with those forwards in the past. So he's, he's had that thing about him. I think the best thing about him at Dortmund and PSG was that he looked at all the talent that he had and he made something out of it. You had a very, very diverse set of players with different skill sets and, and he put them together. He used 11 different formations. So he is somebody who's got that tactical intelligence. He, he recognizes... Um, certain profiles very well. So I think he can do it, but um, I, I don't see attackers being changed. I think they can be incorporated better, but that will come at a cost in terms of the identity that we have. I think that might move, that might sort of point towards us moving away from a back three system, for example, and uh, also becoming a lot quicker because right now we are too slow to be, um, to be an effective attacking side. I just feel you're too stale. So maybe when we are fresher and when we have a complete preseason to work, Lukaku hasn't had that. He came, um, his first game was, you know, Arsenal when the season had already started. So maybe some time off with him in the preseason might just do us wonders. So let's see. Let's hope. I mean, fingers crossed. Yeah. And also, I think it might be interesting to see how the dynamic of our attack looks. If we actually have Rich James and Ben will play, you know, more than about six games together in one yeah. season. As well, With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Uh, Jess, go to you for this next question. It comes in from Sham. Do you guys think this team tends to drop their shoulders way too often when facing a weaker opposition? It's not even about low blocks anymore because we simply don't raise the intensity when we need to. Because it's one of those games where, honestly, I think pretty much all Chelsea fans could have said before this week started that Everton would be the harder game than Manchester United, despite Manchester United being the team with more quality. Uh, is it, you know, what do you... Do you, do you think this team tends to drop their shoulders way too often when they play weaker opposition? Is there almost, I don't want to say an arrogance, but an almost a case of, you know, we don't need to necessarily be at our best and I guess a complacency amongst them? I think, 
you know, there's the, the joke, everybody knows the joke, the charity FC joke. Um, but I'm not sure it's just, I'm not sure it's that simple. I think it's, it's almost like I'm defending the players and, and, and I'm not, but I think at this point of the season, it, a lot has happened to just simply say, say that, you know, you drop your shoulders to weaker opposition. Um, but, but then, but then again, this has, has been a problem with, with a lot of different managers. So you, you have to take a step back and think, um, the lack of motivation. I think Sari talked about it. Lumpa talked about it. Tuchel talked about it. Um, but I just feel like at this instant, I might be wrong here and I'm just going completely off what I, what I feel like. Um, I just feel like they don't see that there's something to fight for as far as the, I, I, it's this feeling of top four is almost secured and they're, they're playing in second gear and there's the tired tiredness that comes on with this. And I think the, the Real Madrid game took a toll on them. I actually, I do believe that. Um, I think Rudiger's um, contract situation, the fact that he's leaving and it's been out there and everybody knows, I think, it had, you know, it took a toll, uh, the uncertainty, uh, the longer the ownership thing isn't resolved, um, it takes its toll. So I think it's, it's, I'm going to go fall back to that, to that old, it's a mix of, of a lot of different factors, but you have to, I, I have this feeling that there's just nothing to fight for, which is something that I'm also holding on to um, in a way to have hope for the final. Because, you know, you have something to fight for in that game. And, and you know, all these players that we have, they, they turn up in big moments. They have been turning up in big moments. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's all a bit frustrating. I know I, I sound very down at the moment, but I, I am feeling very down at the moment. Um, right now, I'm just hoping for the best and, and, and the season getting to the end. It, it feels like it's dragging on a little bit. Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. And I guess our next question, kind of maybe, it kind of alludes to what you're saying about, about cup final. It goes, how many times must we watch experienced defenders dawdle in front of goal? Uh, totally change the match. Do you think we can get our act together to trouble Liverpool? Because this this is sort of the thing that, again, from what I've speak, people speak to, there's two very, you know, different schools of thought here. But one is, you know, you need we need to be in the best possible form going into that Liverpool game, etc. You know, they're on crazy form right now they're going for the quadruple etc they're you know not letting up uh but then there's also kind of my maybe my school of thought but essentially that these players almost like a tap just turn it on and on when they want to it's incredibly frustrating and if, if they could be more consistent we wouldn't be necessarily in the position we are but given you know what happened last year Champions League final thing we ended up going we went into that Champions League final back of losing three of our last four games we played that season before that including an FA Cup final so is there you know do you think that we can get our act together to trouble Liverpool and ultimately as essentially, my question is, do you think, we, you know, we can put a performance in there good enough to beat Liverpool? It's then just a question of, like, love the Carabao Cup final against him, we take our chances type thing. Um, I'm going to answer to you. I think similarly to the way that I answered, um, I think you asked me about the game um, against Real Madrid. Can we do it? And my answer was, yes, we can do it. I'm not expecting us to do it, uh, but I'm hoping that we do it. And I think it's it's the same again. Um, the, our current form, the way that we have been playing, um, the all the individual errors. I think, you know, it, logically, 
you would say, well, somebody's going to make a mistake. There's not going to be a drive. So logically you would say, no, we're not doing it. But then again, we turn up against Hal Madrid and we, we, we did our best and we went 3-0 up. Um, you mentioned the UCL last year. We were in horrible form and then we played a, a, almost like faultless, um, faultless match. And, and so, yeah, I think we can do it. Will we do it? That's the big question. And, and I've, I've talked to, to, to my friend a lot about this. And, and then you mentioned being the tap, and that's what it feels like. Um, we, at, at our best day, we can beat anyone. And I, I strongly believe that. When we play our best football, we can beat any other club in the world. The thing is, we don't know if we're going to turn up. And recently, we have not been turning up. So it's, it's a question of, of whether or not the player is going to decide to play, really. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, next question comes in from Dean Mears. Very simple. Why Chelsea play so bad? Um, Dean, I feel we've probably uh, e- explained the answer to that in uh, all the previous questions. So sorry for a brief answer. But yeah, a combination of factors that I think we, we've gone to in great detail on some of the other questions. And final question comes in from Davey. who asks, do we need to be more direct and less pass, pass, pass? RLC ran at them twice and created problems. Uh, will Lukaku play or is that him done? If he doesn't feature in that one, uh, for me, I can't see him playing at all. Obviously, there was, you know, you know, Rom, essentially, if Rom, you know, Rom against Everton kind of an idea there. Um, Sam, there's quite a lot in that question. Um, the first bit, do we need to be more direct? Because as I feel like I've said this, I mean, I said this comment last week on podcast. it feels like watching us at the moment, it's like watching Sorry Ball, but with a manager the fans like. And I didn't mean that in like any derogatory way or any way to, to any manager or anyone involved, but it does feel that it's it's very feels almost very similar stylistically. At points it feels, you know, predictable, dull. Uh, but I guess the difference is there's maybe not as much uproar about it or, you know, disenfranchisement because our manager is Thomas Tuchel for all he's achieved. And perhaps also the fact that maybe we're in a slightly stronger league position in terms of going for top four than we were back then. But what's your just kind of thoughts on, on, on that, on the first part of that question? Do we need to be more direct and less pass, pass, pass? Uh, definitely, I think I think that is one hundred percent a requirement coming um, next season. We have to look at trying to figure out how to be better at transitions, how to take more risks. I think that's the biggest issue that we have, and I can see where Tuchel is coming from. To be honest, because um, if you if you look at our three starting central midfielders, when you look at Georgie, when you look at Kante, when you look at you know Kova, all three of them like pressing high or are not a liability when they're pressing high. So Georgie, for example, if you ask him to defend a counter, he's often running backwards and, and most of the times he, he cannot stop counters. He, he just does not react quick enough. Kante, for example, also does his best work when he's closest to the opposition defense line, when he's pressing the, the opposition, when they're trying to start a counter. And Kova is similar because... He's also been one of our best creators this season. He's created, I think, eight big chances in the Premier League the last time I checked, which is only below Mount. So he's somebody who wants to get into those advanced areas and and create something. So what we are missing in the middle of the field is somebody who can, A, cut off counters, B, is very good one-on-one, and C, can also tuck in as, say, the third centre-back and provide defensive cover. Now, when you look at, say, Rodri, Fernandinho, those two guys can do it. They're very, very good when, when they're defending backwards. They're strong. Rodri's very quick. He's exceptional in the air. And, and his intelligence is great. 
Fabinho is somebody who rarely lets you go one-on-one. He can tuck in as a right-back because that's where he played at Real Madrid and Monaco. Then he can do defensive midfield and he can also play as a centre-back. We're missing that profile. And and I think when you try to play those risky passes, when you try to put crosses into the box and, and it's cleared away to the centre of the field, I think Tuchel just sort of anticipates that we're going to get hit on the counter. So depending on who we recruit for our central midfield, that will determine a lot in terms of can we play more direct? Can we play riskier? Because you can ask Trent Alexander-Arnold to play on 50 or 60 crosses into the box and maybe he'll get two assists. But the amount of times he loses the ball when he's trying those adventurous passes, you've got the right people. When you've got Fabinho and Van Dijk defending those difficult situations, then you have confidence that you can play those passes. And we do have players who can do it. Ziyech, for example, can do it. But everybody else also needs to take initiative. But that starts from having a structure that can stop counterattacks. You don't want a 38-year-old Thiago Silva you know, to be dealing with somebody who's running full speed at him. That's not ideal. So once the structure is sorted, once we make the right kind of signings there, I think Tuchel will automatically ask us to switch. Because we can do it. Let me look at Real Madrid. We just burst out of the blocks. We didn't care if we conceded, you know, two or three goals. It was more about scoring three. So when you do have that kind of intention and you you have that kind of reassurance, I think it can be done. But that starts with the right recruitment. Uh, fair enough. The second part of that question, do you think will Lukaku play for us again or is that him done? Because um, obviously I feel, you know, Romelu Lukaku, again, unused sub today, you know, previous sub appearances he's not made. The biggest impact, but you said you know. I think you, I mean you still had hope for Timo earlier. Do you kind of have hope for for Romelu Lukaku at Chelsea, or or do you think he's done? I I do a lot. Of, I get a lot of flack for this. I do, but I still feel that there is there is a system that can bring the best out of him. Obviously, he's done himself no favors in terms of the interview, and sometimes he just he ball watches more than anything else, and and that's what's frustrating to see in in a centre forward. Um, he presses nine times across 90 minutes. He's up that after the interview, after he started getting, you know, a lot of abuse and criticism, he's started putting that effort in. But most of the time he does appear static because he doesn't press at full intensity. But you don't want him, you don't spend 100 million, you know, whatever to get uh, a forward who's going to press more than 10 times a game. You get it because he's going to score. And, and you only spend that amount of money when you're absolutely certain that you have the right system and the right players to bring the best out of him, which we do not. And I think that Tuchel, for example, who's somebody who's worked with exceptional transition forwards in the past, you know, he's made people like Adrian Ramos look very good at Dortmund. He had Aubameyang, who he, he used very well. If we had that kind of a system where we could play quicker, where we could ask him to do his running behind, like he, he used Aubameyang, I think that there is there is massive, massive hope. But that also, there are so many other factors that I'm not privy to. I do not know what their relationship is like. I do not know if bridges have been burnt. I don't know whether there is faith either way. And those things also come into play. Like once once you've gone behind the manager's back and done something, most of the managers will sort of burn you to the ground and, and relegate you to the to the back end of um, you know the striker's queue. So if those bridges can be fixed, if if a nice system can be found, if he can play quicker, I definitely think that you know this guy can do something well. Him in Liverpool's system, somebody who plays direct, I think he would have been a revelation. 
but um, that starts from having trust starting with a clean slate and getting a better system and it can be done fair enough fair enough i'm going to bring jess in uh, she had a hand up jess what do you want to say um no just uh kind of want to compliment what sam said a little bit because um well first of all i'm i'm going to say that i'm not defending Bukaku and i'm not villainizing him all, all i think i'm going to say is that i would be surprised if we didn't see movement there in the in the transfer market i'm i'm expecting him to go having said that some of the names that that we've been linked with um for for that forward uh role they don't have a a, a different profile than than romelos so i'm not sure how that's going to change anything and and i also think that rom has suffered a lot with bad uh, uh poor decision making um within the squad so I I mentioned before and Sam mentioned as well um the runs that Timo Timo uh, makes Rom does that too and you don't see through balls um also when when Reece James was playing right center back for instance we had Kai up there and we we saw a lot of crossing and then we change it up and and he goes right wing back and then Lukaku is out and then you have crossing but when Lukaku comes in you don't see those crosses so it's just i'm sorry i, I kind of mix mix match there in my speech but i think you you can understand um what i was saying especially in the club world cup i saw a lot of runs uh, and no through ball so i i don't pin it all on him that's that's what i think you know as as sem said it's about adapting and and finding a way to work with him tactically um I I think it's over for him that's my personal opinion I would be very surprised if he he was kept within the squad um but I am sort of 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 anxious with the names that we are being linked with because I think we will have the same problems if we just change him for someone else with this with the same profile that he has No fair enough fair enough yeah um so that was all the listener questions we got sent in I want to thank both our guests for coming on this week. Uh, the games themselves weren't the best to to talk about, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people, and I certainly learned a lot, you know, from from our two guests and the way Sam kind of broke down sort of our, our tactical, you know, stuff was really great. And that's sort of one of the beauties of, of getting uh, Sam on. So before we go, I'm going to give our guests one last plug. So Sam, mate, on, on your debut, uh, you absolutely smashed it. And uh, I think, yeah, your girlfriend was right at the start when she shared you uh, you should be getting on on podcast YouTube more often because that was uh, absolutely brilliant, mate. So uh, before you go, why don't you give yourself one last plug where people can find you and where, you know, they can find, yeah, follow your Twitter for, for all your brilliant work and your threads, et cetera. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, it's been it's been wonderful talking Chels and, and tactics with you guys. And obviously I'm a huge fan of both of you as well. So you've been adding a lot of value to the community and speaking about it in a very level headed perspective has been actually therapeutic for me during a season that has threatened to pop a couple of veins in my arteries so um I'm really grateful for that <laughs> uh, you guys can find me at cfc central 3 um on twitter and i'm nowhere else so whenever you can please drop a message i'm happy to talk football or anything else but Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Had a lovely lovely time. Lovely lovely stuff. Yeah, cheers for coming on and say Sam's link will be in the description below. And Jessica, I know you I only got her on about 3 weeks ago, but she was so good. I had to get her back. And unfortunately, we can quite talk about a 6-0 win. Uh, it was very different this time, but I guess she's kind of have the all, all all encompassing Chelsea experience there. Um Jess, before you go, one give yourself one last plug where people can find you on Twitter. 
Yeah, it was great. I mean, that's Chelsea, right? It's the roller coaster ride. So, um, first of all, I want to thank you again for for asking me to be here. It's it's an honor. You know, I'm a fan of the podcast. I'm a fan of yours, Nick, and also to to be here with Sam, who's a very good friend of mine and who I admire um, so much. And his analysis are also always on point. So it's been great to be here again. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm very very happy, despite what's been you know despite the results just to be able to be here with you guys and share this moment um if any of you want to find me i'm at twitter at je underline frota and i also encourage you to follow um at chelsea brazil brazil with an s um yeah if you want to talk all things chelsea with with fans from brazil and from south america lovely lovely stuff yeah jess is link is in the description as i say she's one of the nicest uh people we've met through twitter this year she's a great girl so make sure you give her a follow as i said earlier make sure you give sam a follow as well two brilliant people in the chelsea community two very lovely people as well who deserve all your support as for us we're on twitter at that chelsea pod on instagram at that chelsea pod on all your usual podcast platform providers Apple, Spotify, etc. Uh, give us a rating review if you're there. Whenever Liverpool gets tweeted out, um, a like, a retweet always goes a long way. Gets it onto other people's timelines. Um, yeah, basically play it to anyone with a functioning pair of ears, please. And then just as a reminder at the start, you can get um, 20% off Manscaped and free shipping with a promo code that Chelsea pod at Manscaped. But until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.